This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. How much do you know about how the American jury system works? The question comes up after every controversial verdict, most recently during the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Here's President Joe Biden after the verdict. I stand by what the jury has concluded. The jury system works, and you have to abide by it. And yet, Americans' confidence in the jury system is waning. A Gallup poll found that only 54% of people expressed trust in the federal courts, compared to 67% just a year ago. So let's turn to Echo Yanka, a law professor at the Cardozo School of Law, to better understand the jury system. And juries are first and foremost based on our understanding of community. The jury system is a deeply egalitarian kind of early commitment. The idea really is before you are put in a cage, we should ask your peers to determine two things, right? First and foremost, the jury determines what happened. They determine what the findings of fact are. So you said you didn't do it. Somebody else said they did. And the jury listens to everybody and says, who do we believe? Who is credible? And secondly, they have to believe this beyond a reasonable doubt. So they have to have a high set of confidence. The the second big part of it, which is more controversial, is the question of how much the jury plays a role in determining what the law is. So both their historical debates about whether or not juries were allowed to in some sense, freelance to determine whether or not a law should be applied, and the historical move that we think of as jury nullification, when a jury just thought, whatever the facts are, this law is too unjust to apply Mm -hmm. to a fellow member of the community. What does the Constitution mean by jury of one's peers? Does it just refer to the location of the jury or their race or their gender? What is that? This is deeply controversial, as you know. Um, Nowadays, of course, we have a commitment that a jury of one's peers cannot be um, defined by race or gender or certainly class. I think some of those things were originally true, maybe class, um, but certainly, you know, race, as you can imagine, black people were not permitted to serve on juries through our history. Mm -hmm. And women were not deemed appropriate to serve on juries. Indeed, even when women got the right to serve on juries, many jurisdictions had the rule that men automatically were required to serve on juries. Women could opt in if they wanted to, right? So there is still a view that the jury was just not an appropriate place, the rough and tumble for a woman unless she really wanted to. So this has been a long fight in our history. I see. So how are jurors chosen? What's the process? Because we often see the attorneys on the case going through possible jurors one by one. Yeah, this is one of the most difficult parts. Even when it works well, it's very difficult. So, you know, you have a cross-section of 
a community. We, we all know that feeling when you get summoned to jury duty. And then some huge group is taken in a room and the lawyers conduct what we call voir dire. They ask a bunch of questions that are meant to be neutral to try to figure out if this jury is going to be friendly to their case. What the lawyers are supposed to be doing is trying to figure out if you're fair, but what they're really trying to do is figure out whether you're their kind of juror. The other thing which is very incendiary is whether or not the lawyers are using voir dire to strike jurors for impermissible reasons. Explain voir dire for folks who may not know. Forgive me. So voir dire is one of the few French words that people like me know because it's <laughs> law school. Um, so voir dire is when you're allowed to ask a series of questions, right? So I might ask you, you know, not just where do you live, but do you generally trust police officers? Do you generally believe bosses should have the right to do X, Y, and Z? Or do you think workers should have more rights? You know, I'm asking you a set of questions to try to figure out your orientation, your politics, how you'll view the facts and the theory I'm presenting for this case. And I'm allowed to ask wide-ranging questions, though some are not permissible. Then I'm allowed to strike juries. No, Your Honor, I don't want this person on the juror, on the jury pool. But I'm not allowed to do that because uh, I don't want black people on the jury, or I'm not allowed to do that because I don't want women on the jury. And trying to figure out when a a lawyer is striking jurors for impermissible reasons is one of the big fights we have in our history. Do you think that Kyle Rittenhouse faced a trial by a jury of his peers? Yeah. yeah. Let's say, look, I think if you study criminal law and if you study criminal law with a critical lens, you are always worried that are standing problems with racism, are standing inaccessibility to have true representation from a community is always a problem. I don't think the Rittenhouse case is the worst example of that. I think the interaction between the jury, the judge, and Rittenhouse was often peculiar, um, frankly uncomfortable for some of us, but I, I don't think that was the central question of how the verdict turned out. So, Echo, talk to us more about how race, gender, or, or class might play a role in the jury selection process, even if that wasn't the intent of the system? You know, look, on one hand, the very point of the jury system is that you are tried by ordinary people who bring their ordinary experiences to the courthouse so they can interpret facts in light of what they know about the world. But as I don't have to tell you, what we know about our world is deeply colored often by our experiences due to our race, our class, or our, our sexuality, our gender. You know, let's take an ordinary example. You know, your black friend might tell a white friend, this cop pulled me over for no reason. You know, some people are going to believe you. Maybe some more people will believe you in today's world after having seen videos. But for a long time, a lot of white friends would just say, that can't be right. You must have been doing something. Surely you're exaggerating. Right. Maybe, maybe not. And those kind of ordinary differences in conversation are going to make all the difference when you're on a jury. When the officer says he was acting suspicious and a black juror might think, police say that all the time when they pull me over for no reason, whereas a white juror might accept that unthinkingly, that's going to be a critical difference in whether or not the officer's testimony is believed or whether or not Kyle Rittenhouse is viewed as being the one who started the fight or not in another example. Last night in his first interview since being acquitted, Rittenhouse said that his trial had, quote, nothing at all to do with race. It was only about self-defense. Do you think that that's how the jury saw it? Yeah, I think one of the problems is that sometimes the subject matter of a criminal trial is not 
truly satisfying. It is not the deep questions we care about. So the trial asks a very small question focused on a very narrow window. At the moment Rittenhouse thought he was being attacked, did he reasonably believe he was in danger of serious bodily harm at that very moment? And so we zoom laser-like into that moment. But of course, all of us have every reason to think that's not the only morally important moment and maybe shouldn't be the only legally important moment. Why was this young man inspired to play act a police officer or for that matter, play act soldier? Why is he permitted to wander around the streets with what looks like an automatic weapon by police officers in ways that we are pretty confident a black man wouldn't be allowed to? Why did he view protests about Black Lives Matter as a sort of call to vigilante um, security in ways that wouldn't be permitted in, in other settings. So all those questions, which are really what are driving the conversation, are then really unsatisfyingly answered by the question in that moment when somebody's chasing him, is he enacting self-defense? When we think about racial background of a jury and how it impacts a trial, does that then mean that the jury serves some people better than it serves others? Oh, there's just no question about that. I mean, first of all, we should notice that juries are rare, right? I mean, our system is one of overwhelming plea bargaining. And one of the reasons people plea is because prosecutors tell them, if you go to trial, I will charge you with higher crimes and seek a much stiffer sentence. And for lots of black defendants, there's just robust evidence, and your defense lawyer will tell you this because they are trying to help you. There's robust evidence that you'll be more likely to be convicted than a white defendant, and you'll get a higher sentence than a white defendant. One startling study I remember showed that even among black defendants, if you had darker skin and a broader nose, for the exact same crime, juries are more likely to convict and you're more likely to be sentenced to more time by the judge. So, you know, black defendants are well aware that a jury is can be a dangerous place for them. Can jurors decide that they don't want to participate if they're chosen? Um, <laughs> it's a tricky thing. Um, I've always heard know, that you can, but I could be telling uh, you, I've never been chosen. Well, let me say, I think you should be. Um, And I I don't just say that teasingly. I I think it's really, really important that juries recover their original goal, which is that it's a Republican little R, right, in the sense of being judged by your community moment in criminal justice. I think if more people served on juries, more people would see what our justice system looked like. More people would see the things that we convict people for. If there were more juries, there'd be more trials and our voices would all be more heard. And as you started off by saying, maybe we could infuse more confidence into the criminal justice system. A recent Gallup poll actually found that Americans' trust in the justice system and courts is on the decline. What do you think is driving that distrust? I mean, frankly, I think more people now have access to these incredibly highly salient trials. And maybe it's because more people see the kind of, or at least think they see the underlying facts, right? So, you know, here's what was not true 20 years ago. 20 years ago, not everybody carried a little video camera on them. So if the jury acquitted, say, this police officer or this person who opened fire at a protest, and the jury heard all the evidence and they concluded X. It was sort of a black box. You know, you had every incentive, psychological incentive to think the jury must have heard great evidence and they know. Mm-hmm. Now you can see the evidence with your own eyes. And, you know, it has given people access to the complaints that many people, including in particular people of color, have had for a long time that 
the jury simply accepts what's being told and never really critically inspects the facts. So where is there room for improvement in the jury system? And does the mechanism exist to implement those changes? Oh, my goodness. I think there's so many, so many places. But, you know, if you gave me a sort of philosopher's pen and let me do anything I wanted with it, um, here are a couple of great suggestions. Maybe there should be mandatory jury service at a certain age, right? Maybe we should all have to take a year and participate in the criminal justice system so we know more what we're talking about. Maybe the jury system should be actually compensated, right? So instead of the prescribed, you know, $25 a day, people would simply get their salaries so that serving on a jury wasn't economically onerous um, and more people would feel actually permitted to serve. And maybe there should just be many, many more juries so that you know our criminal law system is not reduced to a plea bargaining system where people are locked away out of sight by the maws of a great machine. Echo Yanka is a law professor at the Cardozo School of Law. Echo, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And that's it for today's Reset. Our knowledge of juries will be tested again as we move towards a verdict in the trial surrounding the killing of Ahmad Arbery. Stay tuned to Reset as we follow that trial. And you can keep up by subscribing to this podcast. While you're at it, give us a rating. It helps listeners find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you for listening, and we'll meet again tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.